the Humanity Church podcast, a place where meaningful conversations around living by faith, being known by love, and becoming a voice of hope are shared with the world every week. We hope that you enjoy this podcast and will join us live on Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, online or at the historic Fox Theater in beautiful downtown Pomona. We also host humanity groups that meet all throughout the city and online to continue the conversation and support you in your ongoing spiritual journey. Find one near you by visiting humanitychurch.com. If you would like to financially support this podcast or the ongoing work at Humanity Church, you can text any donation amount to 84321 and give directly from your phone. Now, here's this week's podcast. Jesus, thank you for this space and thank you for the opportunity to connect to you, to one another in this moment. Thank you for the breath in our lungs and for the gift that this moment is. We don't take it for granted. And so we step into the fullness of it that's available here and now. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. There was this moment in the scriptures where where Jesus is having this confrontation with some of the religious leaders. And this is what takes place in Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 34. It says, Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, which are one of the religious groups of the time, the Pharisees, the other religious group, got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Now, great question, horrible motive. Because here they are saying, Jesus, what's, what's the most important thing to God? Of everything that the scriptures teach us, what's the most important thing to him? Now, of course, they were doing it to test him, which wasn't exactly the greatest intention, but it's a great, powerful question nonetheless. In other words, they're they're asking the question, what do you want from me? Have you ever thought about that with God? Like, God, what what, what is it that you want with me? Do you want my time? I will give you that. Do you want my money? I'll give you that. Do you want my service? Now, this is great for us type A people because we're basically like, can we just get down to what really needs to happen here? What do you want from me? Where am I supposed to spend my time? Where am I supposed to spend my energy? If it's, you know, helping the orphans, let's do that. If it's not, whatever it is, then I'll do that. And so they're trying to ask this question, God, what is most important to you? This way, no one wastes their time. Now, Jesus gives them an answer. It's not exactly the best answer for us type A people, but he says this. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest command. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. See, it turns out that the most important thing to God isn't something that he wants from you. It's actually something that he wants with you. And this is a radical diversion from how most of us relate to God because the most important longing that you could ever know from God is this, love me. Now, this is an annoying answer for us type A people because we oftentimes want to know exactly what to do. How many of you are with me? How many of you love knowing what to do? Just tell me what to do and I'll do it, right? This does not answer that question. This does not give us a direct answer as to how we're supposed to be with God or perform with God or engage him in this. And don't get me wrong, what what we do seems important to God because there's a bit of the scriptures that talk about how we are to live our life and how we are to give ourselves and what we are not to give ourselves to. So there's a fair degree of that in the scripture. So it seems like God is concerned about that. But when it comes down to brass tacks, what God says is the most important thing is that you would love me. See, because Jesus 
understood something really critical about love, and that is that when you love someone, you will do almost anything for them. Have you noticed that? I look back when Marla and I first started dating, and it was ridiculous, the things that we did for each other. I mean, Marla lived in Afghanistan, and I was here in the United States, and we would send letters back and forth. And we wouldn't just send letters. When I sent her a letter, I sprayed my cologne on it. When she sent me a letter, she sprayed her perfume on it. I made her mix CDs, you know, back in the day. In fact, we found a box. We found a box of stuff that Marla had sent me from Afghanistan when we were dating. And she had made this entire book where she cut out animals from magazines and was like, you're like a goat and you're like a fish because all these reasons. And there wasn't a lot to do in Afghanistan, but... But I, 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 I look at that now, and I think, this is so ridiculous, right? In fact, we found it. I was like, should I throw this away? She's like, no, this is my love poured out to you. But I look at that season, and I think about the amount of time that I spent, about the money I spent, about the amount of energy I spent, and it was a lot. Because, what, not that I don't do that now, of course, but it's different. When you love someone, you will do almost anything for them. And so Jesus understood this reality because you can do all the right things out of duty and shame and it will not produce love. But when you love someone, you will do all the right things necessary to engage them in a relationship. And it will produce something so beautiful. And I love that Jesus does give us what this love ought to look like. He gives us some instructions in this because have you ever noticed that when we talk about love, we're all working off of a different definition? I've had so many couples in breakdown in my living room and we're having conversations around what's not working and inevitably someone will say, well, I don't think they love me very much. And I'll say, tell me why you don't think they love me. And it's like, well, they're not cuddling with me. And the other person will say, yeah, but I do the dishes, I take care of the kids, I go to work, I make money. And they're like, yeah, that doesn't count. That's not love to me, right? Another person will say, no, what I need from you is to make money and I need for you to show up and do the dishes and do, take out the trash. And the other person's like, yeah, but I spent all this money off on you. This is how I love you. And usually the breakdown in relationship is when we are working off of two different definitions of what love looks like and we clash with one another. So I love that Jesus actually says, here is exactly how you are to love me. Love me with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. And he's quoting a passage from Deuteronomy, and in that passage it also includes with all of your body, with all of your strength in the middle of this. And so this is what it looks like for us to do the most important thing that we could ever do, to engage God in the most important way that we could ever engage him. And over the next few weeks, as we enter into this second half of our revival season here at Humanity Church, committing to fight for the heart of God and the fight for the heart of this house, we're going to look at what it looks like to love God from this perspective, to to look at what it looks like to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength physically. And this is a, a response to God's invitation not to do something for him, but to be with him in a new way, to transform the way that we love him. And here's the thing that I'm convinced of is that from that, everything else changes. That if we can get this right, if we can actually engage this from a place of health, everything else starts to transform in our life. So today, we're, we're going to look at what it looks like to love God with all of our heart, which is appropriate because there's a holiday coming up around hearts, yes? 
I was amazed. I, I went to Walmart on December 26th, and all the Christmas stuff was already gone, and the hearts were out, baby. Gotta love capitalism, right? <laughs> and we're entering into this holiday filled with hearts, right? We have candy hearts. We have chocolate hearts. We have cards with hearts on them. We have clothing with hearts on them, and, and it is a season of hearts, and oftentimes in our culture, when we talk about heart, even when we look at this image of heart, what we're talking about is our emotions. That, we, that when we look at this passage that says to love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, oftentimes what it translates in our Western framework is to love the Lord your God with all your feelings. To, to really feel it. You know what I'm talking about? To, to love him with a feeling so strong that Lionel Richie would write a song about it, right? You know? Like that we would love him from this space. And so that's what we assume this passage is talking about, that when we are to love the Lord God of the hall of our heart, that we're to love him with all of our feelings. But really in Jewish culture, and if you think about it for human beings, feelings are actually connected to our mind. And this was the Jewish understanding of how our feelings fit into the whole equation here. Because if you think about where your emotions come from, they come from how we believe about a certain situation, place, person, circumstance that we find ourselves in. For example, in this room right now, if I was to say, hey, you, come on stage, and I'd like for you to get up here and give a 45-minute presentation. Statistically, most of you would pee your pants. In fact, it's one of the greatest fears on earth. Most of you would be fear and trembling about getting on here because of all the things that you make up about being on stage, believe about being on stage, speaking to an audience. I'm going to look dumb. I'm not going to have anything to say. People are going to laugh at me. I'm going to look stupid. All the conversation. Now, some of you, like myself, are like, let's, bring, let's do it. Let's, every week. I will do that every week. Let's do that. That's awesome. Because I have a different belief about the action that produces the emotion connected to it. And so in the scriptures... And in the Jewish culture, emotions were connected to mind. But heart, heart was something very different. And really, when God is asking us to love him with all of our heart, when Jesus commands us to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, really what he's talking about is to love him with all of our will. To love him with all of our passion. To love him from the center of who we are. What drives us? What, what navigates our life? Remember those old cartoons where a cartoon character was making a decision and up on their shoulder popped an angel and up on their shoulder popped a devil and they had a conversation around what the character ought to do and they're, they're steering them in different directions. You know, you should go do this horrible thing or you should do the right thing and, and they, they choose which of the characters they're going to follow. In many ways, this more accurately represents what Jesus was talking about when he talks about loving the Lord God with all of your heart. It's the center of operations of our life that drives how we live. Now, in 2020, because it was a very tumultuous time, Marla and I decided this would probably be a good time to create a last will. You know, we were thinking about death. Death was happening around us, and so we thought this would be an interesting time. So we got out our piece of paper with a lawyer, and we drafted our last will. And really what a last will is, is it was the last action that we would take on this earth. It was the last direction that our life would move. It was the last change that we would make 
on this planet. And so, you know, we got all of our assets, and we got all of our stuff, and we divided it up, which didn't take too long, and, and, and we got everything down. We were like, here's where the cars are going to, assuming they're still around. Here's who's going to raise our kids if we're passed out somewhere. Here's, what's gonna, here's where all of our money is. All of the things, because that was our last will. It was the last direction. It was the last order that our lives were going to make. So when Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, what he's saying is to love him from the center of operations, from that place of passion that drives and navigates your life. So why would Jesus start here? Why would heart be the place that he starts from? Now these aren't in order. It's not like heart is more important than mind or soul is more important than strength. But he starts from this space. I love how David in Proverbs 4.23 says this. He says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything that you do flows from it. See, we oftentimes think about guarding our heart. And usually when someone's talking about guarding their heart, they're talking about protecting it from something that's going to hurt it. So oftentimes people will say, I'm guarding my heart from this relationship because I don't want to get hurt. I'm guarding my heart from this circumstance because it's toxic and I don't want myself to get in trouble or whatever it may mean. And that's oftentimes what we talk about. But David, when he says to guard your heart, he's actually not saying to protect it. He's saying to guard it. There's a very different context here. That David is saying guard it from being informed by destructive voices. Guard your heart from being informed by forces and influence that would cause the center of your operations, the core of who you are, that center, that passion, that driving force, because from it flows everything. From it will flow all of your actions, it will flow all of your attitudes, it will flow all of your beliefs, it will flow all of your emotions from it. Have you ever left your heart, your center, your will, unguarded, and then out of your life started to flow things that you were like, where is this coming from? You know what I'm talking about? Where you look around your life and you're going, why is scarcity starting to flow from my life? Why is hopelessness starting to flow from my life? Why is darkness starting to flow from my life? And have you ever found yourself in a space where you have elements flowing from your life and you don't know why they're flowing from your life and you'd rather them not flow from your life? That's frustrating, isn't it? How do I stop this, this flow from my life? This summer, I experienced this at a real, real level. For most of June and July, I was waking up in the middle of the night in a panic with, with, with almost crippling anxiety. And if you know me, I, I struggle with worry, and I, I struggle with all kinds of racing thoughts, but anxiety and worry and overwhelming panic is usually not where I naturally drift to. So it was a new thing that was flowing from my life. And I f have you ever found yourself thinking crazy thoughts that you know they're not actually true, but they're, they're just real for you? You know what I'm talking about? Because I would find myself at night and during the day waking up with thoughts like, no one loves you, everyone's going to leave you, you're going to lose your job, and you need to figure out how to live in a van by the river with your kids. I'm, I'm, I mean, this is how crazy it went, folks. I'm just going to let you into my world. I was calculating a budget as to how much it would cost to live in a Subaru down at Benelli Park. I mean, that's where it, where, that's where it went, right? Because I just allowed the, I allowed the thoughts to go. I allowed the flow to flow. I allowed myself to go there in the middle of my anxiety and the middle of my fear and the middle of my doubt. 
Now, here's the thing. I could have addressed the fear and anxiety. I could have figured out, how do I, how do I, how do I address this? But what I realized was the fear and anxiety was a symptom. It was the flow from something that was taking place at a heart level, at a will level, at a core level, at a center level. And I knew that I had to address that because I, if you just address the flow, guess what? It's going to keep flowing. But if you address the spring from which the flow is coming, everything transforms. And I realized that at some point along the line, I had unguarded my heart and I allowed mistrust to come in. I had allowed myself through living through 2020 and pastoring through crazy times and having people do unpredictable things, start to erode the protection, the guarding that I had put up around my heart to make sure that it was pure, to make sure that it was honorable, to make sure that it was noble, to make sure that it was in tune with the Spirit of God. And I had allowed mistrust to enter into my will, into my center, into my heart. And so from that started flowing panic. And from that started flowing anxiety. And from that started flowing fear. And when I realized, oh, what's necessary is to re-guard my heart, the flow changed. The flow transformed. Suddenly, I was able to breathe again and to say, wait, hold on. God is actually who he says he is. And when I put the guard up around my heart, the rest was quieted. See, when you guard your heart you are guarding the center from which everything else flows in your life. See, for so many of us, we will spend a lifetime trying to fix the flow. And we will never address the spring at our center from which the flow flows. And this is what David says when he says, guard your heart. He says, make sure that you are guarding that center, that will, that core of who you are. So then, what does it look like to love the Lord our God from this place, from our hearts, from our will? See, an another thing that we think about when we talk about will is we naturally equate it to willpower, right? That's usually one of the places that we talk about will. We don't talk about it a lot. We talk about our last will, but then we talk about willpower, which usually looks like white-knuckling your way through life. Have you ever found yourself white-knuckling your way through life? Like some area of your life, some arena of your life, some space of your life where you find yourself white-knuckling through it. And how much do we love to white-knuckle our way through something? I mean, how many of you have ever found yourself white-knuckling your way through your anger? And you're just like, I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to yell at my spouse. I'm not going to yell at the kids. I'm not going to yell at my coworker. I'm not going to allow that outburst. And we just white-knuckle our way through it. How many of you have ever white-knuckled your way through a diet? Come on, you know what I'm talking about, right? I will not go to Krispy Kreme. I will not go to In-N-Out. I will eat healthy. I will go to the gym. For some of you, you found yourself white-knuckling yourself through addictions or craving. How many of you have white-knuckled yourself through love? Where you're like, ooh, I'm supposed to love that person. Jesus told me it's the most important thing in the scriptures. I will love them. And so we find ourselves white-knuckling it through so much of life. And here's the thing. When we find ourselves white-knuckling it through life, your entire life starts focusing on what you should or shouldn't do. And you just become hyper-fixated on the thing that you are attempting to white-knuckle. It's all you think about, right? 
Have you noticed that when you're on a diet, all you think about is all the food that you shouldn't be eating and all the times that you're supposed to be going to the gym? When you find yourself white-knuckling it with love, you find yourself constantly thinking about, what do I need to do to make sure that this person knows that I love them? Or when you find yourself white-knuckling yourself through an emotion like anger, you're constantly just thinking, how do I not outburst in this moment? And for so many of us, when it comes to loving God or being in faith with God, we start white-knuckling our faith. We, we start to buckle down and say, all right, I just need to be a better Christian, which I think is actually one of the most dangerous places we can ever find ourselves in. In fact, there is actually a real danger in practicing spiritual disciplines like we are in fasting and praying and even giving because they can quickly become a white-knuckle practice. I just need to get through this. In fact, I've heard, I've heard some talk, not from our house, but from other homes around our fasting, right? Because it's because, oh, I, I just got to fast. Oh, I just got to get through it this week. I just got to not eat for the next two hours, and then God will love me, and he'll come across, and he'll do everything I need. And we find ourselves white-knuckling ourselves through these spiritual practices. If I fast and pray and I give, now I'll be a good follower. And we may be good for a moment, but the problem with white-knuckling is that it actually doesn't last very long. And it certainly doesn't produce love. So I know that God's not actually interested in us white-knuckling our way through loving him with all of our heart. In fact, when we find ourselves white-knuckling our way through faith, what it produces is duty and obligation. And what that will eventually move you towards is shame when you fail in the white-knuckling process. I mean, who, who wants to be in a relationship anyway? Have you, what, what would it be like to be in a relationship where someone says, you know, I'm here because I have to be, right? Well, you know, you know I made dinner for you because I have to. I, I, I took out the trash because I have to. I showed up on the date because I have to. No one wants to be in an obligated relationship with someone, including God. He's actually not interested in you having some obligation or duty to him. And then when our willpower runs short, our world shatters around us. How many of you have run out of willpower, and then you finally get to the place where you say, well, just forget it. I might as well go hog wild. I might as well eat what I want. I might as well say what I want. I might as well do what I want because it never stuck. I love that in Psalms 51, when David's talking to God about these places where he oftentimes attempts to white-knuckle it through, he says this to God. He says, you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You don't take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. See, in other words, God is not interested in your religious performance for him. He's not actually interested in you white-knuckling your way through it. He's not interested in you trying to figure out how you can do all the right things. He's actually interested in you easing into a love relationship with him from the center of who you are, from your core, from your passions, from your will, and that, that only comes from being in relationship with him, where you are looking at each other in the eye and spending time connecting to him heart to heart, will to will, center to center. 
And this is the beautiful thing that God invites us into, that when we submit our hearts to him, we ease our way into it. And God will never turn away a heart that is willing to repent and turn back to loving him in a new way. See, the other part of this is, as we enter into that space, as we enter into that space where we recognize that God is not interested in our performance, but he's interested in us submitting our heart to him and being in relationship with him, have you noticed that you become what you love? Have you noticed that? That, that the things that we love, we become like them. I have a close friend that, that I remember we, we, we used to go to all kinds of rock and roll shows, actually here in Pomona, at the Fox Theater, or down at the Glass House, and, and you know, we get all rock and rolled out when we got, you know, we got eyeliner on, spiked our hair, put on cool clothes, we go to the rock show, right? We do that. And then I, I lost touch with him for a while, and then we got back together, and you know what he showed up with? Skinny jeans, a cowboy shirt, and a cowboy hat. And I thought, what happened to you, right? And he said, oh, man, I found country music. And I said, oh, I, I wish you would have found heroin, to be honest, but he didn't. <laughs> he found country music, right? And, and we start talking, and I go, do you have an accent? You're from San Dimas, right? I'm like, well, what, what's happening here, right? Because he found a new love. And, and then, then we actually got together a few weeks ago, and and the cowboy hat was ditched, and the jeans were gone, and he just looked like a dad, right? Because he fell in love with his kids, right? <laughs> I'm like, oh, you're like me. We shop at Costco now, right? <laughs> and, and, and I realized that whatever we love, we become like. Whatever we fall in love with informs who we are. It informs how we express ourselves. It informs what matters most to us. I remember as a kid, I had a friend who had a stutter, and, and I spent so much time with him. And, and off and on, I found myself developing a stutter. And my dad had to come to me at times and say, Nathan, this is not a healthy trait to pick up. We're going to train this out of you. But, but because I wanted to be like my friend. Because there was a friendship, an intimacy, a connection there that, that I just naturally picked up on. See, when we love someone, we become like them. The more time you spend with Jesus the more you learn his rhythms, the more you learn his heart, the more you learn his ways, the more they naturally begin to press upon you. And here's what I am convinced, is that the more time you spend with Jesus, you will actually naturally become like him. Which is why here at Humanity Church, we say that the most important thing that you could ever give your space, your time, your energy to is belonging to God and belonging to one another here. Because whatever you love, whatever you belong to, whatever you give yourself to, you will eventually become like that. Wherever you give your time, wherever you give your energy, wherever you give your resources, which is where you give your love, you will start to look like that. And when you love God with all of your heart, with all of your will, with all of your center, you will actually start to rely less on your own willpower. And you will find yourself engaging in the power of God as you love him from your will. You aren't white-knuckling it. You don't have to force your way through it. You start to become the kind of person who cares about the things of God so naturally. You don't even have to think about it. See, the goal in this faith journey is not to become good. The, jo the goal is to fall in love. See, I, I don't 
fast and pray because that's what a good follower of Jesus does. I'm a passionate lover of Jesus, and so I fast and pray as a lover would. And that's why I would say, why would I want anything else other than that? It moves from a, like I, an obligation, a duty, I have to do this, to of course I would give. Of course I would fast. Of course I would pray. Of course I would show up. Because I'm so passionately in love with a God who has shown up for me in the same way. And I know his rhythms. I love how Ezekiel in chapter 36 verse 24 says this to us about our heart and this posture that we are to love him from. It says, for I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to follow my laws. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors, and you will be my people, and I will be your God. See, it is our job to come to God with our heart, to come to him with our will, to come to him with our center that is longing to go all kinds of ways. It's longing to do all kinds of things. It is longing to engage in all kinds of practices that are going to move us towards destruction, that are going to move us towards hopelessness, that are going to move us towards a smaller life. And it is simply our job to come and say, I will love you with this. I will give it over to you. But it is his job to take it and transform it. That's not your job. See, this is the difference between white-knuckling your way through faith and saying, God, I'm showing up with my heart. Here it is. Would you transform it? And then he will fulfill his promise. And he says, I will take your heart of stone. I will take your hard heart, and I will hand you back a heart of flesh. And it will be made new in the process. I love this. See, because he, again, is not interested in you performing for him. He is longing for you to love him with your heart. And there is a powerful difference between you exercising your willpower to love God and loving God with all of your will. See, I think where we get in trouble sometimes in this is we go through polarizations in this. See, on one side, it's like, well, I'm just going to white-knuckle my way through it, and I'm going to do all the good things, and I'm going to hunker down, and I'm going to be a good follower of Jesus, and I'm going to do all the things. And then, at times, we read things like this and say, well, it's not my responsibility to transform my heart. So then we just, we enter into this like osmosis space of faith where it's like, do your thing, Jesus. My heart is here. You do you, right? <laughs> and so we find ourselves saying, well, I'm just going to love and the chips are going to fall where they may. So in other words, well, I had an outburst of anger, but I loved God. That's his responsibility, not mine. I hoarded all my money, and I didn't give anything. I guess my heart isn't transformed. He's still working on me, right? I lusted all week long. And you know what? That's not responsibility of mine because I'm still in love with God. See, we waver at times between how much do I white knuckle and how much do I just let go and let God. But there's this middle, I believe, that God calls us to. See, here's actually how you can tell if you're loving God with all of your heart. 
Here's how you can actually tell if you're loving God with all of your will, with the center of who you are, with the, with the center of operations. You can ask yourself questions like this. Are my passions changing? Are the things that I care about starting to transform within me? Do the things I care about, are they actually starting to move me towards a healthier person? And are my relationships actually becoming brighter and bigger and more fulfilled as a result of this? Am I making decisions that are now in alignment with his heart? Because it is a love relationship with the Father, working together in partnership of us continually handing him our heart of stone and him handing us back a heart of flesh. It is not a sit back and we'll see type of love. It is an active partnership where I say, I want to know you more. I want to engage you more. I want to sit with you more. I want to know you at a heart level. And it is a partnership with him that as I submit my heart to him, he gives me back my heart of flesh and we dive deeper together. So is it on me? Yes. Is it on him? Yes. But isn't this how all relationships are? how we engage together with him. I, I love having conversations with people who are in the process of getting married, premarital in conversations. And most young men have this moment with me, and it always looks a little different, but it's always the same question. Different words, same attitude. And it usually sounds something, it'll usually start with something like this. It'll usually sound like, man, you know, right now I can spend my money on whatever I want, but I don't know what's going to happen when I get married. Or it'll sound like, man, right now I can just go out with my friends whenever I want to, but when we get married, I don't know if I'm able to do that anymore. Or it'll sound like, you know, right now I can just make any kind of decision that I want about where I live and how I throw my clothes and my dirty underwear on the floor. I don't know if I'm able to do that anymore. And really, the core question that they're asking and trying to figure out in that moment is, am I going to lose myself in this relationship? And what part of me am I going to lose? And is what's on the other side actually more enticing than what I currently have right now? I remember a, a young man was asking me this, and they were struggling because really, the core wrestle is, I don't know if I want to give up my will. I don't know if I'm up for that. I don't know if I want to give that up yet. I don't know if I'm ready for that. I don't know if, I don't know if this is going to produce this in, inside of me. And so this young man was asking me this in his own way. about, hey, well, What was that experience like for you? And I thought for a moment, I, I, I said something that I very rarely say but probably should say more often. I don't know. I don't know. But I said, I don't know, because I told him, I actually cannot remember what life was like before Marla. I, I, was, I thought for a moment, I thought, what was life? That seems like a, like a dream from another life. <laughs> like, I, I was having a hard time, what did I do on the weekends? And how did I spend my money? And, and where did I put my dirty underwear when I took, I, I was trying to remember all of these things. Because I couldn't remember that. Because when I fell in love with Marla and our wills were intertwined with one another, there's like relational amnesia about what had taken place before. I can't remember what my passions were before her because my passions have been completely transformed. 
I can't remember what I cared about before her because my passions and the things I care about have been transformed. Our relationship now informs everything that I do or don't do. So I, I can't even compare what I have now to what I had then because there's a part of me that was lost. But what I do know is that where I'm at now is a much more beautiful place than I was before. So yes, you will absolutely lose yourself, was the answer. You'll actually lose most of yourself. But this goes for every relationship, even if you're not married in the room or don't plan on getting married. This goes with every friendship. It goes with every intimate connection. It goes with every community that you mold yourself to and submit yourself to. That there is a release that happens. There is a letting go of a will that happens. There is a sacrificing of my own passions and my own desires and my own center that is required to meld two individuals together. And yes, you will absolutely lose yourself when you love the Lord your God with all of your heart. But what lives on the other side is so much more beautiful than you could ever imagine. In the same way we, we love God with our will, Eventually, you won't know where you end and he begins in that process because your heart will have been so melded with his. In Proverbs chapter 3, starting in verse 5, we get from Solomon probably one of the most famous of all the wisdom writings, arguably. And he says this, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. See, really, the question before us when we are called to love the Lord our God with all our heart is can we trust him with our will? Can I trust him with the center of who I am? Can I, can I lay down everything else, give up my own ways? The ways that seem right in my own eyes, the way that seem like this is the logical path to go down when God says, yeah, actually, this will not work for you. That when, when our own will says, yeah, but this is going to be more delightful, and God pulls the back and says, yeah, actually, this is going to bring you more delight. This is going to elevate your joy. I know it doesn't seem like it right now, but are you willing to love me with your heart, with the center of who you are, with the core of who you are, and ease into submission with the creator of your soul, of your heart. And it's in that process of submitting our heart to him and just looking him in the eye and saying, I trust you. That is what actually makes your paths straight. If you find yourself in life where you're like, man, my path doesn't seem very straight. I actually don't know where I'm going. I actually... I'm not too sure. And maybe it's not, look, I'm not saying that God always lets you know where you're going, but it just feels like, man, I'm wandering around aimlessly. When we are willing to submit our hearts to him, what the scriptures say is you may not know what is going to be in front of you in a year or five years or ten years, but he'll make your path straight. In other words, you will head straight towards wholeness and towards beauty and towards health. He will redeem what it means to be human for you as he makes that path straight. Look, I've said this many times over the last 30 days of our 60-day journey together. 
but my heart aches for the church. Not, not just Humanity Church, although this is the specific context that I get to be in and lead in and, and submit myself to, but for the movement of Jesus, that when he calls the church to, to love the Lord God with all of our heart, my heart longs for that to be a reality for us. And sometimes I, I actually can't let the ache go too far because it hurts too much to think about what would be possible if we actually lived this way. What would transform around us? What would be moved not only in us, but in us and in our cities and our communities? How justice would roll like mercy, like a river. How, how life would be released everywhere we step foot. And here's the thing. In this 60 days, like I talked about earlier, especially if we look at the next 30 days, it would be easy to perform for God in some way. And I want you even to reflect on the last 30 days of your participation, for those of you who are a part of Humanity Church, how you've been participating with God in the last 30 days. Have you found yourself white-knuckling it? Like, I just got to get through. I got to do this. This is what Nathan said. I guess we're fasting. I guess we're giving. I guess we're praying, whatever it may be. And it's okay. Don't judge yourself. Don't overperform now that you've already performed, right? <laughs> but I'm actually not interested in that in the same way that God is not interested in that. Look, we have some metrics. And look, I know how to make all the metrics happen. I, I know, look, I could fill a room with 100 people participating. We could go out tomorrow and find 10 people to be baptized. We could organize ourselves, hire a consultant, and have 10 humanity groups tomorrow. We could have all the money we need if we just found the right consultants and did all the right things and followed all the right plans. They all work. But in the words of David, it would all be burnt offerings. It would all be just a religious performance to say, look what I did for God. Now I'm a good follower. See, I'm convinced that if we love God with all of our will, with all of our heart, with the center of our operations, everything else will change. Which is why in these 60 days, we're not talking strategy. We're not talking, hey, here's the six-year plan. I'm just convinced that if we were to love God from our center and submit everything to him, to pause and to look him in the eye and say, I will fight for this relationship, everything would change. And here's the beautiful thing. You don't even have to fight that hard. He's like, I surrender, let's go. <laughs> He's not trying to hide yourself, hide himself. He is all in. So, ironically, I'm going to ask you in this moment to recommit yourself to our practices for the next 30 days. This is like a midpoint re-up. But here's the thing. I know that some of you have fallen off the bandwagon. That's okay. Some of, you have to, some of you have like come to me and you're like, ah, oh, pastor, I forgot to fast this week. Nothing inside of me is like, well, shame on you. Everything's gonna fall apart now, right? Because I'm not interested in you white knuckling it through this. I'm not interested in you performing for God. I'm not interested in you doing all the right things so that you can now be good or accepted or have some type of holy life. I am interested in you falling in love with the Father with all of your heart. And that from that, everything else would flow. And so, here is my challenge to us. Is that we would step into this next 30 days without white knuckles, but releasing everything that needs to be released. 
And that we might spend the next 30 days just focusing on submitting to the Father in a way that would transform everything inside of us. That as we spend time with the Father, there would be a longing to fast because we know that fasting produces greater intimacy and movement with God. That there would be a longing to pray because that when we pray, we are in direct communion with the God of the universe. That we would long to give of our resources because in our head it would be like, where else would I invest my resources that would create kingdom impact? Anything else would be crazy. See, this is the type of movement that God longs for. Let's fall in love with Jesus and fall in love with the Father with all of our hearts and everything else will be as natural as breathing. And this, I am convinced that this is what will change the world. Not any act or performance. We've seen enough of that. It doesn't work. But let's fall in love with him. So I'd like for you, in just closing right now, to do something different. I'd love for you to just stand with me for a moment, if you can. And I'd like for you just to close your eyes as you're standing for a moment. And I know for those of you who are just joining us for the first time, this may be like, what is happening? We're in the middle of a 60-day time of commitment to God, where we're fighting for his heart and fighting for the heart of this community. And I want you just to ask yourself, where have you been performing for God? over the last 60 days. Maybe you've, it's like, I just gotta do my fast. I just gotta get up and pray. I just gotta show up. I have to give because I guess that's what we do here. And today I'd love for you just to release the obligation or the duty. And maybe you're even here, you're like, oh, I forgot about that. I did that for like three days and then I forgot about all of it and I've just been guilty every time I show up. Would you just release shame or guilt around that? God's not up for that. I'm not up for that. And here is my invitation to you because I believe it's the same invitation that Jesus gave. Would you repent? Again, to change your mind. And in this moment, would you just, in your own way, just let God know, I want to submit my heart to you, God. I give you my heart. I just want to, I want to lay down the center of my will, all of my passions, all of my longings, the things I care about, I lay them down before you. And I just want to spend time, Jesus, looking you in the eye, Father, being with you. And allow everything else to flow from that space. So would you just right now, just in your own heart and your own mind, recommit to what it would look like over the next 30 days to be all in, in loving him from your heart, from your will, from your center, in a way that would be as natural as breathing. And that as you hand him your heart of stone, he would give you back a heart of flesh. Because this is what we need. And it's certainly what the world needs. In a, in a society that demands performance for acceptance. In a society that demands perfection to be included. In a society that demands your obligation and your duty. It is a standing against the wind to say, no, I release all that. And I choose to enter into love. So today, Jesus, we enter into that space. And this morning, just in closing, if you're here and you've not yet connected to Jesus in this way, 
Maybe you're like, this seems brand new. And you would love to connect to him as a father, as a savior, as Lord. Today's your day. Right now is your moment. If you're online, this is the same thing for you. See, we're a community crazy enough to believe that God believes more in you than you probably believe in him. That he came and he died for you and he came back to life so that you could find hope and freedom. And this morning, if you're here and you have not yet connected to him in this way, to give him all of your heart, this is a moment for you. So if that's you this morning, would you just look up at me? Just That just lets me know that's me, I'm, I'm in. Cool, a few in the room. If you're online, you can just type Jesus in in the chat and we'll know what that means. I just want you to pray this prayer. It's not magic words. In fact, this is not what saves you, but it's the attitude of heart of connecting to the Father. Would you just, in your own words, dear Jesus, I give you my life. I know that I am incapable of saving myself. And so I make you Lord. I know that you died and you came back to life so that I could live. And so I give you everything. I submit. And I know that I will find life in return. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope that it was a meaningful experience and look forward to having you listen in next week for another conversation from the heart and soul of Humanity Church. You can find more information about our community at www.humanitychurch.com.